Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. The things that have worked yesterday are no indication of what will work tomorrow. We need to continually evolve. We need to continually look at our product, our service, our careers, and tweak them in such a way that allows for innovation and creativity and growth to happen. Welcome back. I hope your week's been fantastic so far. If you haven't listened yet to my recent conversations with nurse-turned-writer Janine Kelbuck and Mark Devine of the Unbeatable Mind Academy, why not? Seriously, go check them out, but listen to today's conversation first. I'm really excited today to have on the InnovaBuzz podcast as my guest, Nir Bashan, a world-renowned creativity expert. He's taught thousands of leaders and individuals around the globe how to harness the power of creativity to improve profitability, increase sales, improve customer service, and ultimately create more meaning in their work. Nir has spent the last two decades working on a formula to codify creativity. His book, The Creator Mindset, 92 Tools to Unlock the Secrets to Innovation, Growth and Sustainability, was released in 2020, and our discussion focused a lot around many of those tools. In our discussion today, Nia talked to me about the how of creativity and that everyone is born with unique creativity. We talked about why we should talk more about our failures. And Nia talked to me about the relationship between empathy and creativity and how they work together to build deep relationships and communication. Without further ado then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Nir Bashan. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome today to the InnovaBuzz podcast from Orlando in Florida, the USA, Nia Bashan, who's a world-renowned creativity expert and author of the book, The Creator Mindset, which contains 92 tools to unlock the secrets to innovation, growth, and sustainability. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Nia. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Thank you, Jürgen. Now, I'm really keen to dig into this whole concept of creativity and the creator mindset, and I'm really enjoying reading your book. Uh, before we get on to that, because I think there's a lot there to unpack, 
why did you write the book and why now? You know, I, I'm, I wrote the book because there's a lack of books in the marketplace right now that deal with the how of creativity. It's almost every book out there is about the why. And while the why is important, it's really not a manual that others can follow. And so I've been in business my whole life and I wanted to write a book that would help business owners and even people in their careers uh, practically become more creative. The how-to of innovation, the how-to of creativity. And and that's why I set out to write this book. Um, like an entrepreneur, like many of your listeners, there is no book in the marketplace that does the how. It's all about the why. So I found the niche yeah. and, I, and I took it. Right. Now... I, as as somebody, you know, you talk a lot about left brain, right brain thinking and analytical thinking. As somebody who's pretty well a natural, deep ingrained analytical thinker, but at the same time, I think I'm creative too, um, because I'm I'm a strong believer in the idea that creativity is a process, and you certainly talk a lot about that in in the book. So explain that a little bit more to it to us. So. A lot of people, Jurgen, think that, you know, creativity is something that happens when they're in the shower or once, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, once a month when they get an idea or lightning strikes and, oh, look, I finally am able to be creative. But for me, uh, I completely agree with you. It, it really is a process. It's learning how to become creative. It's really about relearning how to become creative because as children... Uh, we're all creative, and I've done extensive research for the book. I've found that no matter where you are in the world, um, you know, children are innately creative. And I think it takes us back to early man and early woman, you know, 60, 70,000 years ago when we were all living in caves and, you know, average life expectancy was like 22. Um, we had to get creative in order to survive. And that same creativity is with us today, yet we value the analytics so much more. We value numbers and spreadsheet logic and all of these other things that take us away from our innate ability to create. I have a, a three and a half year old son and, you know, we get him a, a gift and it literally comes in the box, you know, from Amazon or whatever. Hmm. He opens the box. He takes the gift out of the box. And he plays with the box for two hours, you know? So <laughs> yeah. what happened to us, right? I used to do that yeah, too. Yeah. And now, now all I see is just a box. Oh, I got to throw it away. Oh, we got to recycle it, you know, and all these things. But he sees a castle, a spaceship, and all these wonderful yeah. things. And so I think we've lost it. We've lost it, Jurgen, and it's terrible. Terrible mm. for humanity. Terrible for our businesses. Terrible for our careers. And here we are, it's the year 2020, we think we're so complex and so, you know, evolved and all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, yet we can't solve very basic problems of humanity. And I feel it's because we're not using both sides of the brain effectively. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's it's a really good point you brought up there. And I was thinking as you were um, talking about your three-year-old is, have we lost the ability to foster that in young children because we we buy them all these high-tech tools and and games and have them watch tv and all this kind of stuff and i think back to my childhood and you know i grew up i mean my parents 
were well off, but they were not, uh, they were certainly having to count every penny twice. So a lot of my friends were getting toys and I would come home and say, I'd want, I'd like one of those toys. And they'd say, no, you know, we can't afford that. I'm sorry. And, and so we'd play with stuff like you say, you know, we'd build castles out of cardboard boxes and, and, you know, let our imagination run wild. So this was just stuff that was lying around and it became something else in our imagination. So if we, are we kind of predestining today's young generation to lose some of that? You know, I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think that what we are doing is, you know, through school and society, we're raising kids with the value of the analytics instead of a value of the creativity. We're saying, Oh, you know, that you know, box that you're making into a spaceship, that, ah, that won't do you well in school or in life. Um, you know, learn numbers instead and learn how to count and add and subtract. And those things, those things will help you with your career. So I think that we're, you know, maybe deprioritizing something that is the very fabric of our survival, the very reason that we are here today you know, having this wonderful podcast together is mm. because some somebody somewhere along the line decided to get creative. And what I really think is, you know, maybe maybe this isn't uh, true for children, but in adults, we've gotten so comfortable these days, Jurgen. Like everything is so comfortable. And I know it, it may be controversial to say that during COVID. And I just wrote an article for uh, Thrive. Uh, you know, where I talk about comfort and I got some emails from people that were a little bit angry, you know, they're like, how can you say that? We're in the middle of a pandemic and all this, but I mean, we're the most comfortable we've ever been ever, you know, and, uh, just, you know, 80 years ago, people didn't know to wash hands before, you know, germ theory wasn't, you know, mm. established, uh, antibiotics is like, you know, 75 years old, all of it, you know, it's amazing that we don't, we we think that uh you know we we don't have it good or it's so rough right now but you know yeah. things are better than they've ever been ever and right. a little bit of optimism and a little bit of joy can really help people become more creative and realize that you know things are actually not as bad as they think hmm. yeah there's there's a saying i'm often reminded of in fact i think of it every now and then in in german and it kind of translates roughly to you know, if if you're, and there's, it rhymes, so it loses a lot on translation, but basically it's um, ingenuity always wins. And it usually, it's said in a situation where someone, or, you know, often, often it's said when animals, you observe animals that have some issue, they've got a real problem. You can see, you know, that maybe, maybe our cat wants to get inside or so on. And and it works out, hey, I remember there's a hole in the in the flywire screen on the balcony on the first floor. I'll I'll go check that out. So we say, well, that's ingenious because they've actually applied creativity to solve a problem that they've got. And and so, you know, listening to that idea of comfort, if we're too comfortable, we don't have those problems that we want to solve. And so that ingenuity, that creativity goes away. Kind of isn't, isn't practiced, is it? Yeah, and it's it's a shame because we we are nowhere near where we should be as a society right now, Jurgen. We could have 
easily have landed on Mars. We could have cured cancer by now. The the problem is, is that, you know, one is that we're too comfortable. Two, we're fighting the self-doubt monster all the time that's telling us, no, that idea is stupid or whatever. And three, we're worried about our reputation. We're worried about what people will think. We're worried about coming up with really great and different ideas because <laughs> we're afraid that somebody at work or somebody in, in one of our customers will go, no, that's dumb. You know, why would you ever do that? But we're missing out as the people when we don't take that leap to go to that next step. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, well, let's talk a little bit about this idea of comfort and complacency. You talk about the complacency conundrum in the book. And my regular listeners know of one of my backstories, which is, you know, when I, I'm a real keen hobby photographer, have been since I was about three years old. Um, when I um, graduated out of uh, university with a postdoctoral degree in, in Germany, I managed to land a job at ACFA. And I thought, wow, life has just become my dream. <laughs> and this is my dream job researching into film. So we, we were doing work on instant photographic copy material which was just fascinating and uh, you know married up all the things that i'd learned in my chemistry degree with my hobby photography and it was wonderful within about a year the first uh, digital consumer camera was launched mavica by sony and i experienced firsthand the reaction and and how they responded to that you know it was panic stations at first and then uh it's all right. We just need to make better film. This is rubbish. <laughs> right. And and we all know what happened. So, yeah, talk to us a little bit more about this idea of, you know, bi businesses relying so much on their existing business models, becoming comfortable in that environment and becoming complacent. So I talk a lot about the, um, you know, the band of time. Everything kind of exists in a certain band of time. And it is our job as business owners, uh, even in our careers, to try to maximize that band of time as long as possible. And when we try to maximize it in business, we often think, oh, you know, what worked yesterday is going to work tomorrow. But it's simply not true. The, the things that have worked tomorrow are no indication, uh, have worked yesterday, are no indication of what will work tomorrow. We need to continually evolve. We need to continually look at our product, our service, our careers, and tweak them in such a way that allows for innovation and creativity and growth to happen. Um, I talk in my book about several companies, uh, Toys R Us and Pan Am, uh, different companies get complacent in different ways. And, you know, Pan Am, for example, is one of the most innovative companies in the world. They owned the world's first computer. IBM made it for them in the mid-60s, and they were doing ticketless reservation. I mean, just amazing stuff that you do today on your app. They were doing mm -hmm. in the mid-60s. And so, you know, amazing innovation. Uh, for them, they started getting complacent by having too many choices. The, you know, onslaught of options made them complacent. They had you know, a bunch of different ideas and, you know, there was a lot of energy and they couldn't decide and they had a paralysis of choice. So that that's what led to their downfall. Toys R Us, for instance, had a, a bunch of early warnings, right? The, they had, you know, a bunch of, of seeds that were placed, uh, but they, they got complacent because they felt that they were too big, too strong. They would never go out of business. 
you know, we're, we're the biggest and the best. How are we going to possibly go out of business? Same with Blockbuster. It's the same thing. They, mm-hmm. There was a bunch of early warnings about streaming and different, you know, modalities of consumers uh, consuming the product. And they chose not to listen. And so it, there's a bunch of different flavors of complacency. Uh, but it, it's really important to know that without creativity, these things uh, will become... Uh, part and parcel of the culture of the company and the way to get through it and the way to stay vibrant and expand that band of time that your product or service or your career exists in is to constantly innovate, constantly create and constantly tweak what has happened yesterday so that tomorrow will always be better and different and more invigorated and new, fresh. Hmm. Yeah. So um, one of the things I'm curious about, you talk, you emphasized a couple of times, and it might have been in some of the promotional material for the book, that it's the creator's mindset. Creator mindset. The creator, sorry, the creator mindset, not not creativity or creator's mindset. So what what's why is that differentiation important to you? It, you know, there's a... Uh, it really, there's um, uh, somebody released a book because the, the book is doing very well. So they released another book called The Creative Mindset. And so this is the creator mindset. And I want to make sure that people know it's not, you know, Nike with two E's or Coca-Cola right. with like two O's or something like that. So there's no, no deeper... Uh, differentiation between a creator and creativity or creating? Yeah, not really. This is, uh, you know, the the creative mindset is a, a very important, you know, role. Um, you know, my particular brand of, of creativity is a how-to guide of helping people mm-hmm. become creative with some tools. And uh, that's the real differentiator. It's, uh, it's about empowering a person to go out and do it. And that's, that's what I'm all about. I, I'm, I'm on a mission to make the world a better place through empowering people to become more creative. Now, you mentioned it's a how-to guide and, and there's, it contains 92 tools. And the interesting thing I found, I, I, I think it's on the cover of the book, um, is that it seems like it started off as 63 tools. Yeah. And then the 92 went over the top of that. <laughs> Tell us more about that. Yeah, so it, that was a, an early, early um, uh, count, if you will. And so we pulled out, uh, we added some and we took some away. And the final number was 93. The, I mean, we probably took out, I don't know, probably another 50 of them. And I've got another 100 somewhere. You know, sure. there's all these tools. I, I think it's important to maybe... Take a minute to talk about, you know, the fact that all these tools are free. I get, uh, you know, I consult with with different businesses and I do workshops and keynotes and people are always like, oh, near, you know, this is going to be expensive, right? Uh, You're going to ask us to get a new piece of machinery or start a new department. That's, you know, what you're going to tell us. And, you know, budgets are really tight. It's COVID and and this type of thing. And I say, no, no, it's really about a mind shift. It's, It's a mindset change. It's not about spending a lot of money or buying a new piece of gear or something like that. Every tool is really free. It's about shifting a mentality of your, of your brain, 
and allowing yourself to think more in balance. We have too many people on one side or the other these days. And, you know, we need to get back to a center, a balanced center, so that we can think about problems better than, than we do today. Hmm. All right. Well, I'll explore that in a moment. Now, you talk about the trinity of creativity, and, and I looked at that, and you've got a pyramid there. Um, design or a diagram that explains that, and I'll get you to explain it a little bit more. To me, it was it was kind of like saying you're looking at this problem at this level, so let's go to a higher level and see a bigger picture, and let's go to a higher level still and see a bigger picture. Um, and in doing that, essentially, I see that's how your ninety three tools came about because you've you've kind of asked a specific question. So I, I want to explore the role of questions with you in a moment um, in changing our mindsets or, or you know, shifting to a more creator mindset. But talk to us a little bit more first about the Trinity of Creativity. So the Trinity of Creativity is an activity that you can do. I've done it with you know one person in a boardroom. I've done it with a leadership team. I've done it with 1,500 people in a room. It is a technique that you can utilize to become more creative no matter what you do, no matter what your career is or what your business, your product or service is. It's about taking the concept, which is the highest level idea, almost like the satellite view, you know, the just the widest. It can see, you know, maybe weather or whatever, but it can't see specific. It can see, you know, a very large, you know, macro type item. Um, and then you have the idea, which is the middle level view. Uh, that's kind of like a street level view. You can see what's going on, but not the details. And then you have the execution. The execution view is the electron microscope view of your product, your service, your business, or your career. And that's where most people stay. Most people spend their entire lives in the in the micro view of their of their career, not you know forever wondering what the meaning is. Uh, of of what they do, we have a, a crisis of meaning in the world today, especially in the West, um, where people go and do a job and have no idea of the impact that it has hmm. uh, on others, and so it, it's a problem. But the concept, the idea, and the execution are the three levels of a way to manufacture creativity. If you can identify the concept and you can identify the uh, idea. The execution is what you do every day. You're able to tweak them around to come up with new products or services and new innovation. It's like a very easy to do guide, right? So if your listeners want to do it, they can do it right now, unless you're driving. You pick up a pen and you write down concept and what's the biggest idea of, of what you do, you know? Uh, then write the idea down. That's the middle level. And then write the execution. And that's the, you know, exact thing you do. I did a, a nursing uh, a seminar uh, workshop. And, you know, we had somebody say, oh, near, you know, I'm a neonatal intensive care unit nurse. I said, okay, cool. That's your execution. But what's your idea? You know, and she said, oh, well, I'm a nurse. That's my idea. You know, I said, let's think a little bit bigger. Right. And so she started to, to really think. And she said, you know, the the idea is that I am, you know, uh, uh, a conduit for information. I'm like, ah, good. Let's write that down. So we wrote conduit of information. And I said, okay, cool. What's your concept now? What's the biggest idea that can, can encompass a, a conduit of information? And she was like, you know, 
probably communication. I'm like, ah, brilliant, right? Mm. So we had communication, huge. Communication can be anything. And then we narrowed it down slightly to, you know, uh, a conduit of information and then the execution with nurse. I said, okay, let's go back up to that idea now, you know, conduit of information. What What is it that you really do? And she, you know, she started talking about how, you know, doctors can't talk. They, they can't explain anything. They're there for a minute. You know, they leave yeah. after a minute. The patient's like, oh, thank you. And then they look at her and go, what the hell just happened? Yeah. You know, so she's able to to sort, okay, that's that piece. That's that piece. This is how it came together. This is the result from the scan. This is, you know, she's able to communicate in such a way that, you know, gave her incredible meaning. And she was able to take that information and go back you know, to her office to, to work uh, and was able to, to create new forms and new processes that were based on understanding what the role really is. And that role for her is going to be different than any other nurse. It's, it's her identity. It's her creativity. It's in her DNA from childhood. She has that particular way of doing it. And that's the way that she practices it at work. And so when you're able to identify those three levels, you're able to make creativity. For her, making creativity was coming up with these forms that help other people communicate better and having a more educated, you know, um, patient journey. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a great story. Um, one of my favorite questions when when I'm working with clients in marketing is is what business are you really in? And to me, in some ways, that that's that mirrors that journey a little bit because if if you had talked to that nurse and said, "Well, what do you do?" and she talked about you know, post was it postnatal or prenatal um, nursing, taking care of the patient, you know, maybe she'd then talk about some specifics, and you say, "Well, what business are you really in?" You probably would have gotten to um, communication at at some point, and and that opens the door to different things so in my example of the uh, film manufacturer or the um yeah the film manufacturers that have disappeared now they believed they were in the business of manufacturing film for photographers but you know when you chunk that up and say well actually they're in the business of um, enabling people to capture memories then all of a sudden there's a whole of other ways to do that yeah you bet and and not enough people do that these days jurgen it's amazing amazing to me. You know, I, I did work with a, uh, a sport drink manufacturer, one of the world's most famous sport drink manufacturer, and they were convinced that their, their product is consumed by and large by super athletes. I, so, you know, uh, again, I, I did some analytics. It's not about getting rid of analytics, it's about <laughs> yeah, combining right. it. So I did yeah. the research, like, you know, 0.3% of the earth is super athletes. Something like that, or like point two. It's very low. I'm like, do you guys really think you're probably? They're like, yeah. Oh, near. They're buying everything. You know, they were convinced of it. And understanding what your product really does in the market is is very important. We dug a little deeper, and we found that people would drink this because they were hungover. You know, they after a night of partying to get more electrolytes in in your system to be more hydrated, they would drink this drink. And you know, we we came back to the to the manufacturer and they were able to take that information and to start, you know, they weren't going to market it as a hangover mm. cure, <laughs> but they were able to go, okay, let's pump the brakes a little bit on the super athlete thing and maybe talk yeah. about the normal athlete. I'm like, aha, normal athlete. Mm. Okay. Now we've just opened it up to like 6% of the, uh, 
you know, potential uh, marketplace. And the product ended up doing really well when we did that, that slight shift. Again, it's, it's creativity. Hmm. All right. Well, I did, um, I touched earlier on the importance of asking questions here. So talk to us a little bit more about that, because I think a lot of the exercises in in your book where you've got you know the the 92 or 93 um tools start off with imagine this situation imagine if a situation was different than what it is and asking asking some specific question yeah absolutely it really is about looking at a situation and starting to imagine what can be not what is um, one of the greatest tools that you can get from thinking creatively is an ability to look at a situation as what it can be, not what it is. Uh, a lot of businesses are run in the rearview mirror, Jurgen. You know that, uh, based on spreadsheets and and information, maybe a quarterly report that by the time it reaches your eyes, it's already outdated, right? By the time you're looking mm. at it, it already happened. Almost all the analytical information that we use to run a business today is for information that has happened in the past. It's amazing to me, right? And, and you know, people are comfortable doing that. They're like, oh, look, I have it here. It said this happened. I'm like, yeah, that was three months ago. You know, yeah. who knows where it is now or tomorrow, even, even you know, next week. So uh, it really is about, you know, seeing the world as it can be and not what is. And, you know, asking some really, really important questions like, you know, if it was this way, what would I do? And if I'm able to not uh, go down this rabbit hole, how would I act? How would I see it? How would I proceed? And when you're able to do that, you're able to conjure up creativity in order to solve problems that you can't by getting down the rabbit hole. We're so good, Jurgen, at like, you know, using the same tool over and over again because it worked once in 1986. You know, oh, well, it worked. Well, I have experience. Look at me. I've experienced. What is experience, right? Experience is having a certain problem happen and having a certain solution to it that worked one or two times in the past, right? That, that's what we, we, we think of as experience. But, you know, the, the market is completely changing the economy today. Listen, I, you know, half of my day is on sales. Half of my day is on the content pipeline, right? And mm. the relationship between, you know, product A or service A, finding buyer B and the money, you know, exchanging, it hasn't happened since, you know, uh, the 50s. I know they teach that in business school, but really, you know, product or, or service A um, now goes to J. J doesn't pay for it, but they hit forward. And, you know, it goes to L. L goes all the way to M. M then knows, you know, B and recommends it. And all of a sudden there's a transaction, right? And so the world is not linear anymore. It's not the throughput of a product or service getting consumed by somebody. There's a lot of free things that I do, you know, and I'm just, my business is an example, but almost every business on earth is the same. It's not about that transactional thing from 1950. It really is a different time, a different place. And if you're looking and asking the right questions and saying, well, what can things be? How can they be if I wasn't down a rabbit hole of what I think the problem might be? Um, imagine how much freedom that gives you to solve it. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, the power of questions is is a big one, isn't it? And and also you you touched on something there that brings me back to your nurse story and communication, and that's around um, the language we use about particular things. So instead of couching things in in a negative way, so here's a problem, and oh gee, that that's bad that that happened. Um, instead of using that kind of language, you're you're a really strong advocate of not. I mean, you talk about a positive mindset, but you're not one of those what I call the traditional positive thinkers, which is okay. Um, I've got cancer, so but it's all good. So I'm just going to think positive, and it'll go away. Right. You're more around the oh, that was unexpected, as opposed to oh, that's a real serious problem. Correct. Yeah, reframing the way that we see these things. Uh, reframing the the questions that we ask is an incredibly important tool um, that I talk about in the book. But really what it's about is uh, imagining things from a positive standpoint than a negative. Listen, I'm a realist. I've, I, I know what it's like. I'm, I've been in business since I was nine years old. Some of them have done really well and some of them have done really bad, you know. Um, so, I, it, you know, we don't talk about our failures enough in business today. Uh, and I think we need to start talking about them more and more because mm. I think it'll help. I think it'll help people. Uh, it'll help an entrepreneurial uh, new breed, the new class or whatever that's coming up. I think it'll help them. But basically, it really is about understanding that, you know, th these types of things are uh, going to happen and how you view it, it's tenfold more important than what it is that you end up doing. And, you know, looking at something positively is um, free. It costs nothing, yet it opens up a bunch of opportunities that looking at it negatively will never, ever do. And it's something that you can do right now. Your listeners can do it now. They can look at a problem that's in their business or in their career and say, okay, cool. What, you know, how would I react if I were to just look at this in a positive way? And I'm not saying, you know, oh, this is amazing. Yes, positive for everything. I'm not that kind of guy, like you very much uh, accurately described. But I am saying, you know, take a minute and look at it in a positive way and then see if that gives you any options. If it doesn't, then, you know, move on to the next thing. There's a lot of tools you can go through. I did a little research, Jurgen, and I found that in the English language, there is something like, you know, 82% of our daily thoughts are negative. And I thought it was because it's a language, right? English is, you know, has 10 words for terrible, you know, and two words for good, right? So I thought, oh, it's an English thing, you know? And, and so I started looking and it's in every language in the world. All 167 languages in the world have way more ways to describe negativity than they do positivity. It's amazing. And so what I really derived from that is, you know, we have an ability to to kind of get down on ourselves and, you know, to, to see things pessimistically. But when we are turned on to a bit of optimism, we're able to then use that innate creativity that's in all of us to solve problems. So we need a little bit more positivity, especially these days. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm trying an exercise at the moment and and it mirrors very much what you're saying there. So, you know, you you greet somebody that you haven't seen for a little while on the street and say, "Oh, hi Nir, I haven't seen you for a while. How are you?" And, you know, you you might say, 
oh, I'm good, thanks, how are you? Or you might say, oh, I'm, I'm really tired today, I had a bad night's sleep. So then the negative side gets a whole lot more expression, whereas the good is kind of almost like, okay, that's the end of the conversation. So I'm, I'm looking at the idea of banning good from the vocabulary as an answer. So right. I want to come back to you and say, I, my response might be something like, oh, I'm really excited today because I've got this guy on, on my show that's uh, written a book on the creator's mindset. I'm really excited about exploring that. So then it opens up a conversation again and it's completely different. And also I can nuance in terms of, you know, I might be feeling good one day because I've had a good night's sleep and I've got nothing on for the day as opposed to I'm really excited because I've got something that I'm really looking forward to. So there's differences there as well. So yeah. I, I think, you know, the power of language there is, and, and using positive language without um, having that kind of false, false, um, you know, optimism is, is very powerful. Right. Yeah. You got to keep it real. I mean, you know, it's not, it, it's a choice that you're making to not look at things in a negative way. It's not somebody forcing you to look at it that way. If it's somebody forcing you to look at it that way, then it's not an authentic experience, right? Um, if authentically you, when somebody asks you how your day was, you know, if, you know, you really want to say not bad, then say not bad. You know, I, mm. if that's how you look at it, you know, you don't want to say, Oh, good. You know, you say not bad. A lot of people say not bad. And you know, not mm. bad is like not, you know, as bad yeah. or, or whatever as it could be. So I, I think, you know, it really is about injecting a real positivity into something, not, you know, BSing your way through it and, and pretending you're positive, that's not going to help mm. you become creative. And so if you're not having a good day and somebody asks you how your day is, you tell them it's pure shit and, you know, it's not going well and these are bad things that are happening, you know. Um, uh, but if you want to start solving those problems, then asking really what it is that's going on and finding finding the truth of, of creativity will help you solve them. Listen, I, you know, I've worked with a lot of businesses in the last few months that are telling me, Nir, it's terrible. I say, okay, why is it terrible? They're like, it's COVID. Nobody's buying the product. I said, great. It's time to do all yeah. the things you wanted to do that you never had time for when you were too busy filling orders. And they're like, well, that sucks. It's like, why did that suck? Now you have time. Do you think it's going to be like this forever? And they're like, oh, well, I guess not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it, and it starts to build like, well, we do have that project and this would be a great time to launch that thing we always wanted to do and mm. so on and so forth. So it really is about shifting the mindset to, yeah, of course, it's going to suck and things are going to be terrible, but fine, bitch about it all you want. But when mm. you're ready to solve the problem, that's when you need to shift the positivity. Mm. Yeah, and, and you touched on COVID there. I think COVID has highlighted that in huge ways for me. I mean, you know, we've gone through lockdowns here and I've listened to people complain about, oh, we can't go out and we can't see our friends and we can't, you know, we can't visit customers and we can't do this for business and, um, you know, business is slowed right down. And I said, well, yeah, that, you know, all of that may be true. Is there anything you can do about that? And the answer is generally no, because COVID, you know, we don't control COVID. We don't control, we don't make the government decisions to impose lockdowns to try to um, prevent the spread. Um, but we do control our reactions. And, and so, you know, your example is a really good one of, well, what can we do now that 
now that we've got time on our hands because we're not doing these other things, we can't do them. Um, what can we do that's productive? Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, it, again, it really is about wanting to solve the problem instead of bitching about it. And and I do this with my staff too. Like, you know, it's okay to complain a little bit. It feels good. It's natural, right? Mm. But at, at a certain point, if we want to start solving problem, don't tell me what's wrong. Tell me what we need to do to fix it. Hmm. All right. Now, um, you touched before on we don't talk about failures enough. And I know you, um, I think it was one of your very recent videos, you did, you talked about maximizing your mistake utility. So tell us, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I think that mistakes can actually be something we can utilize in, in, in moving forward. I, I only know that from my own experience and the experience that I've seen other people have that are really successful. Um, I think that most of the time we spend in our business, uh, even in our careers, we try to get it right all the time. And when we get it wrong, we go quickly as possible through getting it wrong, you know, and, and not stop for a minute even to look back and say, okay, what happened? We're just busy trying to get to the next right, you know, instead of a wrong. And what we're doing is we're missing the opportunity to learn. Amazing opportunities come up when we make mistakes, but so often we're, we're just trying to get, you know, past them that we don't really take time to learn from them. And so I talk about, you know, uh, people like Ruth Wakefield, who in the 30s ran a bed and breakfast, which was unusual for a woman at the time, you know, and the bed and breakfast was uh, centered around her culinary skills. She was a, a chef and uh, a baker and she would make you know amazing things and people would come stay there just because of the food right mm -hmm. and so she's making food and one night she runs out of some ingredient and you know has uh you know a mistake right she should have ordered it she knew mm -hmm. there was guests coming she saw it on the list and she knew tuesday to saturday this family's going to be here and you know i gotta prepare and she didn't uh it happens to all of us and so she made a mistake, didn't order the ingredients on time, you know, was in the middle, chopped up, a, she was baking something, chopped up a, a, a semi-sweet chocolate bar, threw it all together, you know, made it kind of happen, got creative. And she ended up inventing the Toll House chocolate chip cookie. The Toll House was her bed and breakfast, the name of her bed and breakfast. And so she invented this chocolate chip cookie, you know, out of nowhere. So... These mistakes can be really, really lucrative, and yet we all the time we just run past it. I, I ran a, a film production company in Hollywood, and my mistake, the mistake that I made was that I didn't promote and or um, create an auxiliary service for the product. So I, I had a product. It did good, pretty, pretty good in the marketplace, and then I did nothing, right, because I thought, oh, you know, I if I were to do – something else it would distract from the meaning of this thing and boy did i learn from that right so now i have a book out and i do podcasts like we're doing today i write articles for different magazines and publications and i talk to people i do videos i learned very much that you need to surround a product and service with an auxiliary offering um i'm working on a on a class now i've been getting emails hey near you know we don't have 
uh, enough to bring you into keynote, but we'd like our staff to maybe take a lesson on their time. Do you have something like that? I didn't, but now I'm going to add it to my, to my, uh, um, offering because that's what you need to do. And so I learned from that. I could have said, ah, you know, I got a book out. Why do I need to go on podcast? Why do I need to do anything? I've got the product and it could be so simple like that. Jurgen, it doesn't have to be, you know, rocket science. It could be very, very simple. And understanding what the mistake happened and admitting it is the first step, right? Mm. And then the second step is saying, okay, how do we get this thing not to happen again? And what did I learn so that when I do things later in life, how can I apply that lesson to something else? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I've got a follow-up question to that because that's a really great couple of examples. And I mean, the classic one of, of the mistake is the super glue that 3M tried to invent that ended up being uh, post-it notes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah the, the questions I have are around, I mean, there's two things there that need to happen, I think, to learn from those mistakes and analyze them. And, and there's the analytical part, by the way, <laughs> analyze the mistakes to see, well, what can I learn from that? And yeah. what opportunities does that open up? And the first one is putting aside your ego to say, well, I made a mistake, which you know, a lot of people can't say that. And the second thing is suspending a judgment, suspending judgment and saying, well, I made a mistake and that's really bad. So suspend that judgment. So what, what's your advice for those two things? You know, I, I talk about the ego quite a bit in the book. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that uh, stops innovation, stops creativity from happening. So there's a few tricks and tools to deal with that. Um, the other part is really about you know, stopping for a minute and saying, you know, it, it's really a, an honesty sort of conversation. You know, we, we talk a lot about uh, empathy in business today, but we really don't understand that the consumer of a product or service is really sensitive to a brand uh, admitting their mistakes and uh, to a brand uh, showing that they're not, you know, the end all be all. Mm. And, um, I think it's really, I think it's really important to show a bit of empathy in that and to admit that you've made that mistake. And sometimes it's appropriate to admit that mistake in public. Uh, in 1982, Tylenol was, uh, you know, poisoned by some terrorists in Chicago and, you know, they, they thought, everything was poisoned and they, you know, Tylenol recalled everybody and everything. And they got on TV every night and they said, we don't know what's going on. We're trying our hardest. And when was the last time you saw a company after some crisis happened, you know, telling us, oh, we don't know what's going on. We're sorry. We're, mm -hmm. we're working on it. And what they did is they developed an empathy that people felt they were human. They were really trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. They were on the same team as we are. You know, they're trying, everybody trying to figure out what happened. So I think that admitting fault is a great creative tool uh, to use and, and saying, hey, you know, I made a mistake and this is how I want to overcome it is is very, very important. And it, it sort of comes together with your two steps about, you know, how to uh, take that mistake, you know, recognize the ego and then turn it around into something that's, uh, that's effective. So I, I really think that, you know, it really ties into empathy quite a bit and uh, allowing yourself that vulnerability so that your clients or that your 
uh, coworkers or whatever have a chance to empathize with you and go, you know what, I could have made that mistake too. You know, here's what we've learned. Let's move on. Yeah, and and I liked in the book you talk about internal and external empathy, and you, um, I think your focus is probably more on organizational, so internal organizational empathy and then external customers and the external environment. But I kind of read into that as well, that it's like empathy for myself. So I made a mistake. So I can, you know, by having empathy for myself, I I can say, that's okay. What can I learn from that mistake? It's also okay to admit that mistake to other people that are impacted by it and tell them I made a mistake. Here's, here's the impact. Here's how we can address the situation. Here's how we can improve it. So how do you, how do you see that? I, I see that as necessary. I, you know, I see that as something that is a requirement, right? We have to talk more about, uh, about getting it wrong. Um, every successful person I've ever talked to in business, um, you know, when the lights go out and, you know, you're at cocktails somewhere or, you know, the, the, you know, a glass of wine after work, you know, consistently talks about, oh man, I wish I would have done this different. I really made that mistake. This is what I should have done 10 years ago, so on and so forth. But those those discussions need to come out of the back room and they need to come into the foreground because what, what ends up happening is, you know, through that empathy, you know, both external within the company and external to your customers, um, that that sense of, of realism, that vulnerability uh, becomes the... <laughs> honestly a market differentiator it becomes something that you can make more money on and so we need to embrace everything that can potentially make us more money and not say oh no near i don't want to go there that's too touchy-feely or whatever well if i were to tell you that the touchy-feely stuff just might you know increase your profit from your from from revenue somehow wouldn't you want to go there nine out of ten people say yes so i think we need to start going there a little bit more yeah, and it, it comes back to um, what you were talking about earlier. It's all about building relationships because, you know, as you said earlier, the the transaction doesn't happen in a linear fashion. So you may, you send a message to one person and they then buy the product or the book. Um, that's not necessarily what happens. It it's um, it's a starts a relationship, and that person has other relationships, and they may talk about the book or the product to other people with whom they have relationships. And at some point, there's a connection that's kind of around 10 corners. That's right. Yeah. And and understanding that the, the relationship uh, is one of the most important things that we have in business today and, and finding a way to connect to people, especially now with COVID and everything that's going on is is paramount, you know, and, and there's so many ways to do it. Some ways are old school, right? Some mm. Some are picking up a phone or sending something in the mail. You know, imagine that getting a letter from somebody, yeah. you know, it's amazing. Right. And, and these, these old school things sometimes become new school uh, because mm. they, they aren't used anymore. So yeah, it really is about the relationship understanding that there is no more tangential. There is no more linear relationship. Everything is tangential today. And I work with, you know, I did a, a keynote for a mortgage, a huge mortgage, uh, um, company and they're like you know near we're you know we we have steady customers and stuff like that we know who is going to consume it i'm like yeah but you don't know who's talking about it in the background mm. you don't know what opportunity you're missing by even telling me that 
right? You're already closing doors that could have been open if you just shifted your mindset to understand that what you say and do lives on in different tangential ways. And you telling me that already I know that you're shutting down opportunities. And when I when I when you frame things in that way, Jurgen, nine out of ten people are going to pay attention because they go, ah, I'm leaving money on the table. Cool. Mm -hmm. What should we do not to leave money on the table? And 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 really, it's about shifting the mentality and and losing that ego and that sense of I know where this. I my customers are the same. They've been the same for eight years. They've ordered our products, you know. And okay, but what are they saying? Who are they talking to? You know, what, what is going on that you can't see, touch, and feel? Mm, that's right. Yeah. Comes back to my story from earlier. So it's um, our customers are photographers that love film. <laughs> and they were. And they were. And, and I was one of those people that was a late convert to digital photography. But the thing was, there were all these new customers that started taking photos when digital photography became mainstream. And, and now... Um, there's only very few, well, film's kind of coming back because it's a little, a little bit like what you said about uh, getting a, a letter in the mail, but uh, I don't think it's going to be a big uh, big market. Right, all right. Hmm. All right, well, this has been absolutely fabulous, Nir. I think it's a good point now, though, to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round. Um, so we've been talking innovation, but and a lot of these things we've covered already, but maybe you could give us a a bit of a snapshot and overview of what we've talked about, or if we haven't talked about it already, just answer the question. So it's a series of five questions that hopefully will um, your answers will inspire the listener to go and do something awesome today as a result. Good. So here we go. What's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? I think we've discussed that at length. We discussed that at length. Here's another tool of the, we've discussed like six of them. So what we have 80, uh, 86 left or so, yeah. I think maybe uh, listening a little bit better. I, I, you know, we're on a podcast. It's a little weird, but uh, listening, just, you know, resisting the urge to talk once mm -hmm. in a while and listening can yield amazing creative value. Hmm. Yeah. And we touched on the power of questions. I think the using questions together with listening rather than talking is, is a really good one. Okay, now what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? The best thing that I've done to develop new ideas was write all of this stuff in one book. Because <laughs> it yeah, was in my so mind six, for a long time. Yeah, and writing it down. Is, <laughs> oh man, it's amazing, yeah. Mm. Okay, um, do you have a favorite resource you use most often? A favorite what? Resource. Resource. Uh, you know, I, I'm an... Uh, I Google a lot. I yeah. use Google a lot, but I also really like books. Um, I don't think that people use books in the library enough. I did extensive work in uh, different libraries for my book, uh, just because you can get stuff on there that you can't find on Google. Hmm. Yes, and and somebody said to me recently, and I, I love the metaphor. It was you know if you could speak to a famous dead person um, what what would you give to do that and and then the response to the answer you well the answer is usually positive so the response is well just go to your library and get some books right yeah mm. it's amazing yeah people mm. think google has everything it does not yeah. it's not even close 
and the knowledge that you can get from your corner library, you know, or, or, you know, a university library, even, even better is incredible. There's something about the printed word in a, in a, a volume, in a, in a book that, that can solve uh, amazing problems for you. Hmm. All right. Now what's the best way to keep a client on track? The best way to keep a client on track, that's what, that's going off the rails? Is that yeah, yeah. that kind of thing? You know, it, it, communication has been really good uh, uh, for me and and um, really understanding that uh, it's a relationship and doing everything that you can uh, to make sure that, that the relationship stays strong uh, so that when things do get off track, uh, you know, you can uh, you can correct them. I think you need the communication uh, and you need that relationship solid. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. that you said uh, focus on that relationship because then you can have some honest conversations when when the need arises. You bet. Hmm. And it will come up. It's not a yeah. matter of, of if, it's yeah. a matter of when. Hmm. All right. Now, the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves. I think the number one thing that your listeners can do to differentiate with themselves in the marketplace is understand that we were all born creative and the way that you practice creativity and that nurse practice creativity and I practice creativity will never be the same between two people and your market differentiator, just like I did with, a, uh, I, I worked with a pizza company where we, you know, where literally the market is flooded with the same products, right? Mm. And we worked on their market differentiator, which came from their identity, their creative identity. You will mm. always be different if you are true to who you are as a creative person, as a creative business. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And there's lots of great examples of that in the book, other examples, including that pizza one you mentioned. All right. Well, thanks, Nia. This has been really fabulous. Now, where can people find out more about you, reach out and say thank you, perhaps, and get a hold of the book, more importantly? Yeah, thanks, Jurgen. Um, I'm easy to find. There's three Nir Bashans in the entire world. Uh, it's N-I-R-B-A-S-H-A-N.com. Uh, the book's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, if you're in the U.S., you can put on a mask, go to Barnes & Noble and get a copy. Uh, around the world it's on Amazon on all the uh, retailers the book is available everywhere so I'd love it if you got a copy and shoot me an email let me know what you think uh, all of my information is on my website and I'd love to hear from your listeners great and we'll post the links in the show notes so people can click straight through all right finally then who else should I get on this podcast and why Emily Belsitas she wrote a book called clearer closer better and I think it's a it's a wonderful book, and she's a very very smart uh, thinker. So look her up; she's great. All right. Well, we'll um, reach out to Emily, maybe get an introduction from you, and then see if we can get her on the show as well. Yes, sir. No problem. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Nia, for sharing your insights and your wisdom so generously with us today. I've really enjoyed this digging more into the book. It's always fascinating to speak to the book author after I've read, um, I haven't read it all, but I've read a large part of it. Um, but just to dig more into those ideas. And I think it's a great, great way to enhance the book. So um, looking forward to staying in touch and all the best for the future and going forward. I sure appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Jerry. 
I hope you enjoyed that insightful and, and really informative conversation with Nir and took something away from his episode. For me, there were so many gold nuggets in our conversation. Perhaps an unexpected one was the idea of maximizing your mistake utility. Rethink the outcome of what went wrong in a way that actually serves you. I'd love to know what you took away from Nir's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post, which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Nir Bashan. That is N-I-R-B-A-S-H-A-N. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Nir Bashan. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Nir, as well as links to his website, to the Creator Mindset book, his social media pages, and all the other resources we spoke about in today's conversation. If you like this conversation and this episode, please do share it with at least two other people that it might help. Maybe it'll spark their creativity. Tag me in that share, and as a special thank you, I'll reach out to you with a surprise. Nia suggested that we have a conversation with Emily Belsitis, author of Clearer, Closer, Better, How Successful People See the World, on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Emily, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of Nir Bashan. Tune in again to the next episodes of the InnovaBuzz podcast, where we've got even more fantastic guests lined up, including podcast guesting mentor and trainer Mikey Tsang, and improviser and corporate trainer, Gillian Bellinger. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.